This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Hello and welcome. I'm Carmen Pate, your host for this podcast. Over the past few weeks, we have addressed the last days or the end of time through this podcast. We encourage you to visit our archive to hear any programs that you may have missed. Today, we're going to pick up where we left off last week in our discussion of the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. You know, Revelation 27 through 8 says, Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from prison and will go out to deceive the nations. So what will be Satan's final doom? Well, we are pleased to have with us once again Dr. Dave Anderson, founder and president of Grace School of Theology. Dr. Anderson is a graduate of Rice University, received a master's in theology from Dallas Theological Seminary, and earned a Ph.D. in Greek New Testament and early Christian literature from Dallas Seminary. He has authored numerous books, including Triumph Through Trials, Portraits of Righteousness, Maximum Joy, and Bewitched, among others. Welcome back, Dr. Anderson. Well, thank you very much, and good to see you again. Well, good to see you. It's just been a good, a very, very fascinating series. And as we continue our discussion, uh, you know, last week we talked about the Millennial Kingdom, and we described the thousand-year reign of Christ as one of righteousness and peace, a, a time of blessing for all of those who were in the kingdom. So why does God's plan, or why did God's plan include... Satan being released from prison. It seems like things are going pretty well. Why would we let him out? Well, I want to answer that, but if you would permit me, there's something we didn't bring out last week Yes. about the millennium that I just wanted to mention in passing. Good. Uh, because uh, people who say the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 6 through 19, has already been fulfilled mm-hmm. by Titus's attack on Jerusalem in 70 A.D., also say the thousand years is just symbolic, right? Right, or spiritual, mm-hmm. but they view it all as a what they call a recapitulation, okay, uh, rather than future. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that mitigates against that, I just thought I'd n- mention in passing. Yes, is the way the chronological advancement is denoted by John in the text. Now in the English. It's going to say in verse 11 of chapter 19, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And this, of course, is when Christ is coming back with his army. In verse 17, it says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice. Then verse 19 says, And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war, course, we call this the Battle of Armageddon. Yes. And then in chapter 20, which introduces the thousand-year reign, it says, uh, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven. Now, the significance of this is that in the Greek text, it's the same phrase each time. It's kaiadon, verse 11 of, 19, of chapter 19. It's kaiadon in verse 17. It's kaiadon in verse 19. And then chapter uh, 20 starts with kaiadon in verse 1, and Kaedon in verse 4. The point is, 
that he's moving chronologically one step after another. No one would say that chapter 19 isn't a progression in time. Okay, yes. Therefore, he continues the same progression when he hits chapter 20 by saying, and I saw. So, and I saw in chapter 19, verse 11, and I saw in chapter 19, verse 17, and I saw. Each time he says, and I saw, it's something new happening after what just preceded it. Okay, that makes sense. So when you get to chapter 20, and I saw, saw. mentions the thousand years, and I saw in chapter chapter 20, verse 1, and in chapter 20, verse 4. So it's a progression in time. And that's an important point when it comes to believing that this millennial reign is future. Yes, it is. I appreciate Mm -hmm. that very, very much. And if you didn't like that, we can edit that easily. (laughs) (laughs) No. So back to your question. No, that's very Uh, important. Back to your question. Why would he be releasing Satan after having him bound for a thousand years? That's a great question because we'd kind of like to keep him there, wouldn't we? Absolutely. Well, it goes back to where we started. Uh, I think, and, and many others, but not everyone, that the best way to understand the Bible is what we call theocentric. Centric means around, theo means God, the us. That uh, all of um, angelic and human history is going to the glory of God uh, for the purpose of the manifestation of the glory of God. We get that over and over and over, yes. uh, especially in the epistles. Uh, some people say, no, it's, it's uh, Christocentric that all of history is, um, surrounds the cross. Well, there's no question about the importance of the cross. But we would say even that is to vindicate God's character. Mm-hmm. And you may remember, or if you're new with us in this podcast, we're saying that Lucifer challenged the character of God by his rebellion. That's right. He challenged his love and he challenged mm-hmm. his sovereignty. So what we're saying then, a new atmosphere and a new earth was refashioned so physical beings could live here. And given less revelation of God, they would still choose God over Satan. We think that's human history. So the way that was measured was initially giving uh, Adam certain commandments. Mm -hmm. He wasn't just to not, he was also to do. It wasn't just don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was also take dominion over planet Earth. Right. All right. So taking dominion is another word for kingdom. So we see this kingdom theme going all the way through Scripture. You know, in, in the part of the promise to uh, uh, David in 2 Samuel 7 is that he would have a dynasty that would last forever. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, in chapter 7 of Daniel, we see that the Son of Man, one like the Son of Man coming on the clouds, is going to assume that dynasty, a kingdom, it says, that will last forever. It's the son of David. Yeah. So when you get to Luke chapter 1, it says that this Jesus is going to sit on the throne of David that lasts forever. Mm. So when you get to chapter 20, he's on that throne. And then when you get to chapter 22, he's on a throne that will last forever. But the throne in chapter 22 is in the eternal state. It's in the New Jerusalem. He's seated on that throne right now. The New Jerusalem already exists, Hebrews 12. The city that's coming already is. All right? But we will see that New Jerusalem coming down out of the third heaven to planet Earth in chapter 21 of Revelation. But we're still back in chapter 20. Why? Because 
the climax of human history, and we're talking about flesh and blood now, mm-hmm. is to fulfill that uh, initial commandment to take dominion over to the take earth. Dominion. Right? Okay. Mm-hmm. But he has uh, an, an opponent, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Uh, he has. We're we're fighting not against flesh and blood, but spiritual forces in high places. And then he kind of gives us a, uh, a hierarchy of fallen angels. And so we're battling against them, and of course their arch leader, uh, arch ruler, is uh, Satan himself. Exactly. So uh, he is given one more chance to try to overthrow Christ and God's kingdom. And of course the millennial kingdom is the climax of human history. So if he can overthrow Christ there, then he wins. So he's given one last attempt to do that. Um, and he rounds up the people who've been born in the millennium who've not yet believed in Christ, and they become part of his army of Gog and Magog. And and so when he's released, we, we learn in Revelations 20 that Satan's followers are gathered together. They encircle the camp of the, of the saints uh, in the beloved city Jerusalem. Uh, like you say, with an obvious attempt uh, to win this battle. But God has a different plan for them. Uh, tell us tell us about this, this battle and what happens. Well, I, I don't know a lot about the battle itself except that they lose. Uh, so uh, they lose and then they're destroyed. Then they go on to the great white throne judgment. And it's probably immediate, wouldn't you think? I mean, it's not going to be a long, drawn-out battle. Uh, you're into stuff yeah, okay. I, don't, I don't know. Well, I guess we, ju- we, we don't know, do we? <laughs> I think we're always thinking about how, you know, with just a word, God can make things happen. And so we think, surely, he's just going to overthrow him, but we'll, we'll, we'll learn in, at that time. So who are those who join Satan in this attempted coup of Christ's throne? Well, as I said, it's those who haven't trusted Christ as their Savior. Okay. Remember, uh, this is a huge population boom, mm. and every person born into the world still has his sinful, a sinful nature passed down from Adam. And if they don't trust Christ, uh, I think Isaiah 65 would say if they don't trust Christ by age 100, they die anyway. But So it would be people under the age of 100 uh, who haven't trusted Christ, and he okay. rounds them up, and they become his army. And there are a lot of them. It says right here, uh, um, verse 8, chapter 20, he will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. That's a lot of people. Yeah. Wow. Now, the, the final doom there would also include the demons, uh, all of his followers. Yes, uh, of course, some of them are already bound up uh, in Tartarus, chained in gloom, doom and gloom. We think those are the ones who uh, cohabited in some way, either by demon possession of the males of the line of Cain or by direct uh, ability to uh, take on human form and um, uh, take as partners the uh, human women and produce the Nephilim. Uh, For doing that, uh, when the flood came, all the but uh, Noah and seven other people have died. Mm -hmm. That means Mm -hmm. all the people that, that means all the Nephilim died. Uh, That means all those in physical bodies died. The Nephilim had physical bodies. Uh, So the spirit that uh, they had in them was most likely one of these fallen angels. Oh, okay. And uh, 
But even if not, the fallen angels would have uh, possessed in some way either human bodies of men that then intermarried with the women or whatever form they took that they could do that. Those then were put down into Tartarus and chained up, not free to run around on planet Earth. Okay. Now, the same thing happened in Canaan. Uh, they came in again and corrupted the tribes there. That, yes. Almost every tribe in uh, Canaan can be traced back to the Anakim, which goes back to the Nephilim. Uh, so uh, same thing happened. That's why he said going to destroy all those people because they were corrupted by the Nephilim. Mm. And they was, were the giants in the land. We think then the... Uh, the fallen angels who did that work are bound up in Tartarus. Okay, okay. Okay, that leaves a lot of them left, though. We yeah. don't know the number, but right. they're the ones we're battling against today. But uh, after Satan is defeated with his forces, all of them are then thrown into the lake of fire. And that will be the end of them. We won't see them rising again. Correct. Good news, good news. Well, I assume we can go back to Genesis and we see sort of the prediction of Satan's doom. So then we would say that it's fulfilled in Revelation, right? Is that, is that, is that where we see the, the, the prediction of yes, crushed, the crushed head? Uh-huh. Crushed head. Yes, uh, many would say the actual crushing was at the cross. Mm. That at the cross, that's where Satan was defeated, that he just doesn't know it <laughs> or... Uh, if he uh, he won't accept it, so to speak, uh, you know, uh, we're told that Christ has already put his enemies under his footstool. Now, some people say, no, that's future because death and the devil are still running around loose. Well, that was the big question. And as you finished up Hebrews chapter one, it says in the past tense, he has put them yeah. under his footstool. Yes. That's not future. That's past tense there uh, in Hebrews one thirteen. So then you have this question hanging out there. Well, wait a minute. If he's already put him under his footstool, how is it that uh, we have these two problems, death and the devil? Chapter 2 answers that. And he goes into the suffering that perfected even the Savior. Mm -hmm. And uh, that there's already a sentence on those two. Mm -hmm. It just won't be carried out until the future. So it's kind of like already defeated, but not yet. Already, but not yet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Well, you know, following the casting of uh, Satan and his legions into the lake of fire, Revelations 20.11 says, The earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. 2 Peter 3.10 describes that scene more graphically. Uh, The heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Uh, So, you know, we, we think about, you know, God destroying the earth with a flood and the promise never to, to destroy it with a flood again. Uh, why do you think that God chooses to completely destroy the heavens and earth at this point? Why is that necessary at this point in history? Again, uh, uh, I see the earth in five stages. The first and last stage, only spiritual beings could live there. And there was no sin whatsoever. There was no moral uh, corruption. There was no evil. Uh, but somehow sin even affected the earth. Part of that was the introduction of disease and things mm-hmm. like this that shortened lifespans. But in the second and fourth stage, you can live to be a thousand. The fifth stage is where we are now. 
So he's going to move planet Earth where it is now, Romans 8, all creation's waiting for the day of its redemption, mm-hmm. the day of redemption. He's going to move it from its current state to the millennial state where you can live to be a thousand. So the effects of sin are diminished in that state. Yes. To give you a longer lifespan. But then the final state is going back to where only spiritual beings can live here and there's no sin at all. So to do that, he makes another heaven, atmosphere, and another earth. When you see heavens and earth in scripture, it's not talking about the third heaven where our spirits would go now if we were to die. Okay. And where the new Jerusalem is now, mm-hmm. where Jesus and the Father are seated now. as co-regents now. Uh, you don't, you don't uh, see, that's, that's where all, all that's going on now. When you see heavens and earth, we're talking about atmosphere and earth. Mm-hmm. So he will create a whole new atmosphere, uh, much like it was when it was originally created. But mm-hmm. physical beings couldn't live here the way it was originally created. Okay. So fire is often viewed as a cleansing thing, yes. a purging thing. Uh, even the whole concept of purgatory is viewed as... <laughs> Uh, though I don't believe in that, it's right. viewed as a purging of your sins through fire. Uh, even the Universalists see time in the lake of fire as a purging time, mm. cleansing time. Mm. Mm. We don't believe in Universalism, no. which says all created beings will ultimately be with God, including the devil and the fallen angels. But still, the idea of uh, purging through fire is not uh, foreign to Scripture. So... Uh, I would say that's when the whole earth and the effects of sin on the earth are purged. It's all cleaned up, so to speak. It's going back to its original state, the way God first made it. And see, in Job 38, the sons of God shout for joy and sing together the praises of God because that was the original creation. And they looked out and this incredible universe that was created, and there was no moral evil at the time. Right, right. Everything was good. Everything was perfect. So he's going to take us back to that stage. Mm. And, you know, with all we know in, the, in our short lifespan and what we can see with our eyes and our finite minds can understand, we think, well, this is such a beautiful planet, and it is, uh, and the heavens are beautiful. But we have no idea, really, when that curse is, is removed and, and it's all new. Uh, I, I guess our little finite minds really can't fathom uh, the beauty of, of what we might be able to experience. Agreed. Yes. <laughs> not, uh, m- not mine for sure. <laughs> there is a last judgment that occurs before the new heaven and the new earth are established, and it's termed in Scripture the great white throne judgment. And some commentators assume that this will occur uh, some maybe in space, uh, since both the heavens and the earth will be destroyed. Do you have any thoughts on that at all? Where will this white throne judgment take place? I would assume it's in the uh, third heaven, okay. but I don't think I could prove that. Right. Uh, we know that God will be sitting there, and he'll be doing the judging, and it could be well be a separate throne that's white, that where mm-hmm. he sits and judges, and could be in a place outside of uh, uh, the third heaven. You could argue that he doesn't want anything corrupt or evil in the third heaven. Mm-hmm. So perhaps mm-hmm. he wouldn't allow the uh, devil, the angels, and the unbelievers uh, in there to be judged. But I don't know. So much of this stuff 
just isn't revealed to us clearly, I don't think. Yes, yes. Well, and, and as you point out, more important than where that's going to take place is who will be judged. Let's talk again about that, because as you know, too, there are many who believe in churches that teach uh, that 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 judgment is for every person. They don't separate the uh, uh, judgment seat of Christ uh, from the white throne judgment. So help us to better understand the white throne judgment, who is judged, and what they're judged for. Well, it says, and I saw the dead, small and great, this is verse 12, uh, standing before the throne, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. So you need to contrast books plural with books singular. The book singular of life has the names of all those who will be with God uh, in his presence forever. The books plural is a record of the evil that's been done uh, by those who don't believe. Now, they don't get to the great white throne through doing evil. They get to the great white throne because they didn't believe. They didn't believe. Jesus. Yes. That's how you get there. You don't get to the judgment seat of Christ by the good you do. You get to the judgment seat of Christ by believing in Jesus. But at the judgment seat of Christ, you're judged for the good you've done. And at the great white throne, you're judged for the evil you've done. Mm. Both are to determine the degrees of either glory or inglory that you bring to God himself. Wow, that's uh, that's so important because uh, there's still such confusion. You know, you can still ask someone on the street today, you know, if you were to die today, you know, uh, would you would you spend eternity uh uh, in, in heaven, and they would tell you, well, I think I've been pretty good, and, and you know, when the, when the scales are weighed, I think I've done enough good to, to get in there. And, uh, but when you understand that it's only by believing in Jesus that you uh, spend eternity with him, uh, and if you, choose not, if you don't choose Jesus, then you will be judged on your works, uh, but it's, it's not going to, to give you an eternity with Christ. Well, one of the things I think is confusing to us is to realize that our sinful nature can produce both good and evil, human good, human evil. Mm -hmm. So we understand evil, but what's human good? Well, Paul says I can give my body to be burned, like perhaps as a missionary, but if I have not love, it profits me nothing. Mm -hmm. So that would be burned up. Uh, that good at the judgment seat of Christ, even for a believer, if he wasn't doing it out of agape love, mm -hmm. which is essentially selflessness. Yes. If he's doing it for his own glory, <clears throat> the work itself might last. Let's say you'd lead someone to Christ. That's a good work. That person's not going to lose his salvation if your motive was wrong. Right, right. But if you're doing that for your own glory, <clears throat> it'll be burned up in the sense it will not glorify Christ mm. himself. Well, you come over here to the uh, great white throne. Uh, there, both the human good is burned up and the human evil is used to, is left over to determine then your degree of separation or suffering uh, in uh, the lake of fire. That's mm. a little hard to comprehend. But it that, is. That seems to be what it's teaching. Yes. Your destiny is already determined when you show up at the great white throne. It's in the lake of fire. Mm. So what's the point of this judgment if it isn't to say, well, there is a distinction of some sort between uh, the little old lady from Pasadena who was good all her life so, mm -hmm. but never believed in Jesus. But never believed. And Hitler, you know. Right. With all the evil he did. Mm. Again, mm. 
We're in the things we don't understand, but yes, yes. we have to go with what little has been given to us. Yes. So, uh, and, and as you, as we've said, there's people that really believe if they just do more works, that'll be enough. But it really, bottom line is, what did they believe about Jesus? Mm-hmm. Well, the real tragedy is that Christ died for them, for those who did not believe. Uh, so those who are being cast into eternal punishment, they could have been saved <laughs> uh, had they just believed in the saving work of Jesus Christ. So for those who say that that God could not be a God of love and cast someone into eternal punishment, how do you respond to that person? Well, there are times that absolute truth comes into conflict. In a perfect world, it wouldn't. But in a finite fallen world, it does. And the cross is perhaps the best example of it. God is uh, love, uh, pure love, but he's also just. And the old illustration is uh, if a policeman saw a woman being mugged on the street and turned his the other way, we'd say it's not much of a policeman. Mm, And so if God looks down at the sinfulness of mankind and winks at it, turns his face the other way, you'd have to say he's not very just. Mm. Uh, Our sinfulness demands justice. But... uh, he also says mercy triumphs over judgment in uh, James chapter 2, verse 13. And so really that's what happened at the cross. Justice was met because the penalty for our sin was paid for. That's why Jesus had to become a God-man. Mm-hmm. A man couldn't pay for the sins of the whole world. God dying in our place could. Yeah. That's an infinite sacrifice. So judgment was met through his death, taking the penalty for us, but also love. Mm. People have said crucifixion's the only death where people die with their arms outstretched. And his wow. arms are outstretched to the whole world, saying this is God's provision because he loves you. God so loved the world, so loved the world. that he gave his only begotten son. And uh, that's really where the victory was won. It was at the cross. And so in a sense there, mercy or love triumphed over judgment. Mm. So uh, for those who don't appropriate or receive, as John one twelve says, that provision, there's nothing left mm. and, except uh, to experience the justice of God. Mm. Wow. You know, when we, when we think about a separation from God for eternity, uh, how, how should that be an incentive uh, for us? To share the good news of the gospel, because I think oftentimes, you know, it's like, well, I'm secure and I'm going to make sure my family is. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we really, we, it really should motivate us, don't you think, to, to real, really be telling the world? Oh, yeah. I, I uh, remember when I wasn't a Christian, I read the Great Commission and go therefore make disciples of all nations. And I read it. Two more times, and I thought, goodness gracious, if you believed this, you'd have to go. Mm. Of course, that was before I was even a believer. Then uh, I became a youth pastor after I was a believer while I was in seminary, and I took our youth group down to Mexico uh, to see the uh, uh, some of the Indians living down there. And um, we stopped to get something to drink at what we would call a little gas station along a deserted road, looked like. 
And I, you couldn't drink water, so I got a Coke. And I was drinking and walked in back of the filling station. And out of a grass hut came a little naked five-year-old boy. It looked like he was five years old. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't speak Spanish. He couldn't speak English. He looked up at me, and I looked down at him, and I said, oh, my gosh. I have a responsibility just from being an American mm. with all the blessings I've been given in this country. But then you throw Christianity on top of it. And all you have to do is travel a little bit and you start uh, increasing your love for the world and you're, you're yearning for them to experience the blessings you've had. I don't mean just the material blessings of America, but primarily the spiritual blessings that we have. And it's uh, the beat of your heart. Mm. Yes. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, this has been an interesting uh, series, uh, one that I think just draws us back to the Word. And hopefully, uh, as we've uh, today talked about the, the judgments, uh, I hope that those listening will consider, have they believed in Jesus Christ for their eternal salvation and for eternity with Him? So, Dr. Anderson, thanks again for taking this time with us today. My privilege, Carmen. Uh, well, our guest today has been Dr. Dave Anderson, and we hope today's topic has stirred your interest to get into God's Word, learn more about God's purpose, about His eternal plan for mankind, and more importantly for you. We encourage you to check out the many courses offered through Grace School of Theology each one will help you to grow in your knowledge and your love for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do share our podcast with others, and remember that your feedback is always welcome. Send us your comments, your questions, make suggestions for program topics. You can do so by emailing us at savinggrace at gsot.edu, or Twitter, our handle is at savinggracecast. We're so glad you tuned in today. And remember, the love of Christ can never be earned and can never be lost. Hear, hear. You have been listening to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash savinggrace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership.